Good evening, everybody. I want to say happy Good Friday, but it's not quite appropriate to say happy Good Friday. Our great problem is that we are historical outsiders to Great Friday, to, to Good Friday. And the fact that we're historical outsiders to Good Friday is really the reason why we are able to call it Good Friday. The only reason why we call it Good Friday is because we're on the other side of it. Because we didn't have to live through it. Go back to Good Friday and wake up that morning with his disciples and say, Happy Good Friday. Try saying that to Jesus on Good Friday. See, the thing about Good Friday is that it was not experienced as good by those who lived through it. It's only good when you're on the other side of it. Good Friday is a memory, not an experience. And what we discover is that Good Friday was not just a terrifying, trying, painful day for Jesus, but for all of his disciples. It was the worst day of their lives. It was the most confusing day of their lives. It was the most disillusioning day of their lives. It was the most terrifying day of their entire lives. If, if they could look back over their lives and pick one day, they would not say that there was a single day in their lives that compared to the agony, to the fear, to the desperation, to the utter confusion of Good Friday. Their Good Friday was more like a Friday the 13th, more like a freaky Friday. But it wasn't experienced as a Good Friday. And the word of the Lord to some of you tonight is that you're living your Good Friday right now. Your Good Friday. But it's not good in the experience of it. It feels like a Friday the 13th, but you're going to look back on it and see it as Good Friday. You're going to look back on it and call it Good Friday. See, the reason why we call Good Friday good is because we live in the fruit of it. It's good because of the price that he paid for us. It's good because of the benefits that we receive from the sacrifice that he made on our behalf. Even the disciples looked back on that day and called it good. They called it good because of the fruit that it bore in their lives. And one particular disciple would look back on that day as of being of greater good than any of the disciples could say because for him it was a greater torment. That day Jesus wakes up in the morning, takes his disciples aside. They, if you were an Enneagram 6, you didn't like being a disciple of Jesus because he, he did stuff at the last. I think Jesus was a 7. <laughs> and I've got, I've got proof because, because Good Friday was actually Passover, and he hadn't made any plans. I mean, they woke up Passover morning still not knowing where the feast was going to be. So they come to him in the early afternoon, you know, like around noon. They're like, are we having a Passover feast or what? And Jesus is like, oh, yeah, go down into this city and just go into such a, you'll find this house. He gave them an address. Go to this house. You'll see some people walking up the street. Follow them into their house. And then when the master of the house comes, just say to him, the, the teacher says, 
Where is the room where he may celebrate the Passover with his students, with his disciples? So they're like, all right, they go. And sure enough, the guy says, follow me. Takes him into a furnished upper room that had everything in it. The Lord always waited to the last minute, but nothing was ever missing because he was a seven. Keep that in mind. I know he's everything. They get into the upper room. And up until that moment, Jesus had told them multiple times about his own suffering and his own death. But he hadn't told any of them what part they were going to play. And if there's one thing that they all understood about Jesus by this time was that he knew them better than they knew themselves. You know, I mean, if somebody walks up to you on the street and says, you're a liar, you just get out of my face, man. You don't even know me. But if Jesus looks you in the eye and says, you're a liar, you're like, I don't ever remember telling a lie, but if Jesus says I'm a liar, I must be a liar. I just don't know it. I mean, you remember Peter on the boat when Jesus said, cast your net out. He said, I fished all night and I caught no fish. Jesus said, cast it out on the other side. He cast it out on the other side. Every fish in the lake jumps in his neck, in his net. And then Peter falls on his knees and says, depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. You know what Peter was saying? If you know where the fish are in the lake... You know where the sin is in my heart? I mean, if you could see through this muddy water to where all the fish are, you can see through this muddy heart where all the sin is. And the Lord's response, don't be afraid. Just come follow me. I will Just follow me. Yes, I know. I can see so deep in you, you don't even want me to tell you what I see down there. I, I see not only the sin, but the sin beneath the sin, beneath the sin. beneath. I see stuff in you that's so dark and nasty that if I were to pull it out and show it to you, you would puke. Yeah. And I still love you, and I still want you. Yeah. And I still take responsibility for you, and I still invite you. Just come follow me. Yeah. Come follow me. So they're sitting at the Passover feast, and there's a problem. Jesus says, you know, here is my body, which is broken for you. He breaks the bread. He passes it around. Eat this. Do this in remembrance of me. They don't know what's going on. The Passover feast is over, but he's, he's, doing, he's adding something. Take this bread. Eat it. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. They take the bread. They eat it. And then he takes the cup and says, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the redemption of many. Do this in remembrance of me. Passes the cup around, and he goes, haven't I chosen all of you? But yet one of you is a devil. There's a problem because there's a devil in the room, and it's one of you. And now the disciples are freaking out because they know that Jesus knows people's hearts. So the first question everybody's asking is, oh God, I hope it's not me. Please don't let it be me. I don't want to be the devil. Please don't let me be the devil. Is it me? And they start murmuring amongst themselves, I think it's him. No, maybe it's him. Who is it? I think it's him. And then Jesus says, okay, I'll expose the devil. He's the guy who sticks his hand in the dish with me to get bread. Bam! And just then, him and Judas, and Judas realizes that his hand is in the, in the dish with Jesus. Oh, snap, I just got outed. I just got exposed in front of everybody. And then Jesus looks at him and says, what you do, do it quickly. And then Satan enters Judas, and he leaves. Now all the disciples, they, they just breathe a sigh of relief. Thank God. It's not me. And now that they're in high spirits about not being a devil, 
the conversation shifts and they start arguing about which one of them is the greatest. Now pride kicks in. And they start going, well, actually, not only am I not a devil, but I'm the greatest one in here. And I think from the context we can surmise, there's a high possibility that Simon Peter was the guy who talked the most. Because he's the one Jesus singled out. The first Jesus says, hey, guys, check it out. The Gentiles, the way you're talking, that's how they talk. They all are clamoring to be the top, the best. They want the title. They want the position. They want the biggest salary. They want to be in control. They want to dominate others. They want to climb to the top on top. They want to climb over the heads of others to get to the top. He's not saying don't be ambitious anyway. He's saying don't be ambitious in a destructive way that disregards the good of others. And then Peter, and one, one of the gospel writers says that Peter jumps up and says, Lord, if everyone forsakes you, I won't forsake you. Luke's version is a little different. I'm going to read it here in Luke 21. Jesus simply turns to Peter and singles him out here in Luke twenty two thirty one. 31. He's addressing all of the disciples, then all of a sudden he just looks at Simon, looks at Peter. And this is what he says, Luke twenty two thirty one, 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said to him, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. Jesus is addressing all of the disciples, and all of a sudden he turns and looks at Simon and says, Simon, Simon. Now, if I'm, if I'm Peter, I've got two questions immediately in my mind. First of all, why you say my name twice? <laughs> and second of all, why are you calling me Simon? I mean, didn't, aren't you the one that said, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will, prevail, will not prevail against it, and I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Aren't you the one who gave me that word, who changed my identity, who changed my name, now all of a sudden you're calling me by my old name? Are you telling me that what you did in my life didn't work? And the Lord says, you know, you're right, Peter. I do know you by your destiny and not by your current reality. When I look at you, I don't see all of the flaws that you see when you look in the mirror. I know you according to who I am making you, not according to how, the, how life has beat you up. However, when I called you Peter, I was prophesying. It was not an observation. It was a prophecy. At that moment, you were not the rock upon which the church was built but I called you the rock when you weren't the rock. I called you the foundation when you weren't the foundation. I called you a man of faith when you were a man of doubt. I prophesied over you, but the fact that I called you Peter prophetically does not mean that I don't have to deal with Simon 
in the now. You see, we tend to think that when God gives you a prophetic word, it gives you permission to skip over Simon, to pretend that he's already dead and gone, pretend that you're already Peter. You can just walk around just forgetting that there's a Simon on the inside of you that God still needs to deal with. In fact, God has to deal with Simon in order to make you Peter. When God prophesies and calls you Peter, you better recognize that he's about to deal with Simon. I know I told you you were Peter, but right now you're Simon and you don't know it. Right now your mind has already started to shift back to your old way of life to your old way of thinking. You're back and you don't, you are, you've already gone back and you don't even know you've gone back. You've backslidden and you don't even know you're backslidden. Simon, Simon. And then he says, indeed, which actually is more literally translated, behold, be perceiving. You can't see this, Simon. Indeed, behold, Satan has desired you. And that word that he uses there for desire, it actually has three different translations, three different meanings. The first is to desire, to want. The second is to request or to ask. And the third is to demand. Jesus says, Satan has desired you. He's wanted you. He wants you because he sees potential in you. When he looks at you, he sees potential. He says, I, this guy's got so much potential, I could use him to build my kingdom. And so he wants you, Peter. He sees qualities in you that he likes. But secondly, he's asked for you. He's gone into the heavenlies, into the throne room of God, and asked God to give you to him so that he could sift you the same way he went and asked for Job. The same way he stood in the presence of God and said, let me afflict him. He stood in God's presence, specifically calling your name, asking to afflict you. Satan has requested you. And thirdly, Satan has demanded you. Which means he thinks he has a right to you, Peter. And why does he think he has a right to you? Because he sees stuff on the inside of your heart, areas in your mind and heart where you've made covenant with him. He sees every point of rebellion, and you better believe that when he stood in the presence of God, he called out all of your rebellion, and he called out all of your sin, and he reminded the Father of every thought and everything that you've ever done wrong, every point of rebellion, and said, I own him. He's demanded you, Simon. And he's demanded you, requested you, desired you. Why? So that he might sift you. As wheat. Now, that doesn't immediately translate into our culture because when I hear the word sifter, I think about, you know, one of those sifters that you pour flour in the top and you, you pull the trigger and then flour comes out of the bottom. It's flour when it goes in, it's flour when it comes out. I don't know what's different about the flour. I, I don't know what it does. You know, it's still flour, right? That, and that's, it's such a, that's a passive, nonviolent process. That was not sifting in the ancient world. The way they sifted wheat, there was actually two components to it. One, the first part was called threshing, and the second part was called winnowing. So when you harvest the wheat, there's this thick husk, and the grain is inside the husk. And so in order to get to the grain, you got to break the husk. And the way you would break the husk is you would take the stalks of wheat, and you would lay them on a stone slab, and then you would grab what's called a flail and beat the tar out of the heads of wheat. 
you would beat them until the husk cracked and broke. And it wasn't enough for just a crack to go through the husk. The husk had to be completely destroyed. And then secondly, after you threshed it, you would take it and throw it up in the air, and the wind would blow away the husk. Why? Because the husk, the, the grain was dense, but the husk was less dense. And so the wind would blow away the husk, and the grain of wheat would fall back down to the earth. Satan wants to sift you as wheat, Peter, meaning Satan wants to separate your husk from your grain. And your husk represents your flesh, and the grain represents your faith. He wants to separate your faith from your flesh. And God also wants to sift you, Peter. That's why God said yes. Because this is the point that we don't like. When, when Satan went to ask to afflict Job, God said yes. And Jesus is literally telling Simon here, Satan has desired you that he might sift you as wheat. And Peter's thinking, I hope God said no. But Jesus says, but I've prayed for you that your faith failed. Meaning God said yes. Because in this one place, God and Satan have the same agenda. Both want to sift you. Both want to separate your, your faith from your flesh. But for two different reasons. Satan wants to separate your faith from your flesh so that he can keep the flesh and discard the faith. Satan thinks if he flails you enough, he can convince you that God has abandoned you. He can convince you that God doesn't favor you. He can convince you that God has, has forsaken you. He can convince you that God has turned his back on you. He can convince you that God doesn't care about you. He can convince you that God has deceived you. He can convince you that there's stuff that God has left out of your life that's good for you, that he doesn't want you to have. He knows that in the flailing, your faith is going to be tested. And so he thinks he can flail you hard enough to destroy not just the husk. He wants to destroy the grain. And he thinks he can actually destroy both. He, he doesn't, he's not trying to preserve your flesh. He wants to destroy both your flesh and your faith. He wants to destroy it all. But God says, I'm going to let you do part of my will here, here devil. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sift him. But Jesus says, don't worry. I have prayed for you. <laughs> Do you see the confidence of Jesus? It's all good. You're about to be sifted, by the way. It's not going to feel like a good Friday in a few minutes for you, Peter. For you, Simon. Satan has desired you. He wants to divide the Simon from the Peter. He wants to discard the Peter and keep the Simon. Satan has desired Simon. That's why he didn't call him Peter. Because Satan doesn't desire Peter. He desires Simon. Simon, Satan has desired you. That he might sift you as wheat. But don't worry, I prayed for you. I've prayed for you. I pray for you. Jesus had so much confidence in his prayers. Come hell or hot water, I've prayed for you. You need to have that confidence over your children. I have prayed for you. I know you're going to walk through the sifter. I know you're going to go through some seasons in life where your faith is going to get flailed, but I've prayed for you, and your faith is going to fail not. Notice he doesn't say, you're going to fail not. He says, your faith is going to fail not. 
You're going to fail, but your faith is going to make it. Isn't that crazy? And what's crazy about this is that this is not a warning. Jesus is not warning. He's prophesying. First of all, this transaction in heaven between God and Satan, it's already done. Satan asked for you. God said, yes, I prayed for you. Done deal. You're going to be sifted. But then, Peter, but then he responds to that and says, Lord, I'm ready. I'm, listen to what he says. Lord, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready. I've walked with you for three years. I've clung to every word you said. I've gone out and demonstrated your power. I've worked miracles. I've walked on water with you. I am ready. I know you like the back of my hand. I was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. I saw you speak with Moses and Elijah. I'm ready. I was one of the only three in the room when you raised the little girl from the dead. I'm ready. You've taken me everywhere. You've let me stay so close to you that the dust of your feet has always covered my robes every day. I'm ready. I'm ready to go with you. I'm ready to go where you go. I'm ready to do what you do. I'm ready to say what you say. I've decided to follow you. I'm ready to go with you. Not only to prison, but to death. I'm ready to die. I'm ready to lay it all down. I'm ready. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Isn't it crazy that Peter thought he was ready? Did you know that you can think you're ready and not be ready? Do you know that the only one who knows how ready you and I are is Jesus himself? Some of you think you're ready and you're not, and some of you think you're not ready and you are. The only one who knows how ready any of us are is Jesus himself. The reason you're walking through the test is because you're not quite ready. Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready to go not only to prison with you, but to death and Jesus looks at him and goes, for real? For real? But here's what's so encouraging. The Lord says, Peter. Look at this. Look at this. Then he said, I tell you, Peter. First he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired you. And then he says, I tell you, Peter. I haven't forgotten who you are. I haven't forgotten that you're the rock. At this moment, when I'm getting ready to tell you how you're about to fail, I'm not going to use the name of your past failure. I'm going to use the name of your future success. I'm going to call you by the name of your destiny as I tell you how you're about to fail tomorrow. So that when you do fail tomorrow, you'll remember that you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow tomorrow morning before you deny three times that you know me. And this was not a warning. Jesus was not pleading with Peter, please wake up or else you're going to deny me tomorrow morning. I mean, if it were me, I want Jesus to tell me, Peter, you better get out of here, man. 
You better catch the next boat and get out of town because if you're around tomorrow morning when it goes down, you're going to deny me three times. I want Jesus to move me out of that party so that I don't fail him in that way. And Jesus doesn't give him an out. He just says, it's going to happen. Scary. And suddenly Peter realizes that there were two problems at this party. It wasn't just that there was a devil, but that there was a denier. See, we're so busy worrying about the devil. I got this person who works on my job. He's a devil. Always talking behind people's backs. Always starting trouble. This girl that lives on my block, she's a devil. We're always worried about the devil. Jesus is not so much worried about the devil. He told the devil, just go do what you're going to do. Just exposed him quickly. It's the guy who's getting bread right now with me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now go. Now go on out. Do what you're going to do. You've already taken the money anyway. But, but the denier? The denier was his closest companion. The denier was his most committed disciple. His most gifted student. The guy who had the most potential, that was the denier. So that not a single one of us can read this story and think that I am somehow immune to the denier spirit. Couldn't have been me. I mean, I, when I read, I do not in any way, shape, or form identify with Judas. I don't read and go, yeah, I see some of Judas in me. No! I don't see none of Judas in me. But I see Peter in me. telling you, Peter, it's going to happen. Tomorrow morning, it's going to happen. Not realizing that this is the sifting. This is your Good Friday, Peter. This is your Good Friday moment, Peter. While I'm about to be nailed to a cross, you're going to be nailed to a cross too, Peter. But your cross is not physical nails. This is where you're flailed. This is where your flesh, the husk of your flesh is going to be broken open at this moment of failure that you thought you were beyond. But I already told you, I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. Not. Do you hear what Jesus is saying to him? Your action is going to fail, but your faith is not going to fail. If you can walk out of this still believing, if you can walk out of this remembering, if you can walk out of this repenting, if you can get up and say, yes, I failed, but I still believe. You see, some of you are walking through your own Good Friday right now where you're being flailed and the husk of your flesh is being broken. But you're, if you can simply pull yourself up off the ground and say, I will not allow my faith to fail because Jesus has prayed for me. The scripture says he ever lives to make intercession for the saints. He's seated at, seated at the right hand of the Father right now in heaven. You know what he's doing? He's praying for us. He's making intercession for us. That's why Hebrews calls him the author and the finisher of our faith. Don't let his faith fail. That's what, that's what Jesus is praying. Don't let his faith fail. 
Do you know, for some people, the flailing and the, the sifter and the testing of your faith is, a, is an extended period of singleness. For others of you, it's an extended period of joblessness. For others of you, it's an extended period of sickness. For others of you, it's an extended period of temptation and failure. For others of you, it's a relationship. Or it could be a bad marriage. Any situation that extends over a period of time in which you're tempted to believe God is not with you. God has abandoned you. Jesus, for him, it was the physical cross. While he's on the cross saying, my God, why have you forsaken me? Peter, who had denied him there in the court, ran off by himself. He was not at the cross. He was out in the woods crying for himself. You see, this is the thing where Good Friday, for so many of us, Good Friday is emotionally inaccessible to us. You go to church and we sing, at the cross I bow my knee where his blood was shed for me and it means nothing to you. You don't feel any emotion about it. Why? Because I'm too busy feeling for myself. You know who also was not weeping at the cross? Peter. He was weeping for himself. He was crying over his own failure. He was crying over his own brokenness. He was in the woods going, why am I such a slovenly, wretched person? I'm the worst person who has ever lived. He, I don't deserve that. He probably thought it was over, that he had completely failed as a disciple. He, was, he allowed himself to be separated at the moment of the greatest agony of our Lord. Because it was also his moment of greatest agony. Not realizing that it was by design. That that's what the cross is all about. It actually wasn't his cross that he carried. It was your cross. It wasn't his death that he died. It was your death. It wasn't his Good Friday. It was your Good Friday. He simply bore it on your behalf. Good Friday, your Good Friday, your suffering, your, your terror, your trial, your catastrophe, your pain is not that which separates you from God. It's the very place that Jesus came to join you. The cross is not the place where Peter stands with Jesus in his agony. The cross is the place where Jesus stands with Peter in his agony. The cross, from the cross, he goes searching for Peter out in the woods and says, I'm still here with you. And even what you did, I bore it in my body. The cross was not the place where he bore his own sin. He bore yours. And he bore mine. It was not the place where he bore his own failure. He bore yours. And he bore mine. But what we tend to do in our place of brokenness and failure is run from the Father. We run from the cross. This was Peter's greatest failure, was that in the moment of his failure, he ran from the cross instead of to the cross. And at the very moment when he was running from the cross, he should have been running to the cross because the revelation that he did not have at that time was that the cross was the remedy for the betrayer in him. And remember, he's in the court. He denies Jesus three times. And while the words of his third denial are still coming out of his mouth, the rooster begins to crow. 
And all of a sudden, his face and the Lord's face turn toward one another. And their eyes meet. And in that moment, he hears the Lord say something that the Lord never says. He looks into those eyes of Jesus, and this is what he hears. You wretched, miserable failure of a disciple. Get the H-E double toothpicks out of here. I don't want to see your face. You denied me. I'm, I'm about to deny you. You don't know me? Fine. I don't know you either. Get out. But instead, you know what I believe the eyes of Jesus were saying? I knew you were going there before you went. I told you so not to condemn you, but to allow you to know that my grace already went there ahead of you, that my grace was here waiting for you, and that what I'm about to do will pay the price even for this. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight and now I'm happy all the day. Some of you are walking through your Good Friday right now. That's why you can't connect with his. Your heart doesn't break for him. Your heart is still breaking for you. And I want you to know that that's okay tonight. Because he didn't go to the cross for himself. He went there for you. And he wasn't thinking of himself up there. He was thinking of you. Tonight, you might not even have the strength to run to the cross. What I'm here to tell you is that the cross has come to run to you. Bow your heads with me tonight, would you? Some of you are in the sifter right now. You're being threshed. You're being flailed. And it feels that your flesh is being beaten to death, but it's not. It feels that your faith is being beaten to death, but it's not. Your flesh is being broken. Your flesh is being broken. But your faith will fail not. And Jesus said to Peter at the end of that, when you have returned to me, you see what he says? He already prophesied his return. When you have returned to me, strengthen your brothers. When you get over this, when you get past this, when you overcome this, the Lord will not prophesy your failure without prophesying your, your success on the other side of it. He doesn't tell you that you're going into a trouble without telling you about this, the, the, the overcoming that's coming on the other side of that trouble. He doesn't tell you about the valley without telling you that there's a mountain on the other side of it. I don't care what you're wrestling with. I don't care what you're struggling with. There's victory on the other side of it. Father, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that your Holy Spirit would come upon each and every one of your sons and daughters tonight. Some of your sons and daughters are in the sifter right now. Their faith is being flailed. 
But Father, I pray tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would open our eyes to see that the sifter cannot destroy our faith. It can only break our flesh. That you allow us to go through the sifter not to destroy us, but to purify us. And this one catastrophic situation for Simon put Simon to death. Jesus died on the cross, but Simon also died that day. Jesus breathed his last, but Simon also breathed his last that day. That from that day forward, there was no more Simon. There was only Peter. The old guy was gone. Now it was the newness of life. The word of the Lord to you tonight, that on the other side of this sifter, that Simon is put to death. There's no more Simon. God is purifying you, not punishing you. God is strengthening you, not destroying you. He's breaking your flesh, but strengthening your faith. And some of you feel like your faith is taking a beating. When you're in the sifter, it feels like your faith is being destroyed. It feels like it because you're like, the stuff that I used to believe for, I can't believe for right now, and I don't know why. The stuff I used to get excited about, I can't get excited about, and I don't know why. It's because you're in the sifter, my friend. Your faith always feels weak when you're in the sifter, but at the very point where your faith feels like it's getting weaker, it's getting stronger. At the very point where it feels like you're losing your edge, you're losing your fire, you're losing your passion, that's the very point where your fire is being purged, it's being born, it's a deeper fire, it's a stronger fire. He promised that he would sit as a purifier and a refiner of silver and that he would purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they might once more offer an offering in righteousness. And that's exactly what he's doing. That sifter experience you're in, it's God. And he's with you in it. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. Father, strengthen right now. Strengthen your sons and daughters. Strengthen those who are in that sifter right now. Strengthen them. Strengthen just to begin to call upon the Lord right now. Lord, strengthen me. Strengthen me. Strengthen me. Strengthen me. Begin to draw from the prayers of Jesus Christ. He says, I have prayed for you. You need to hear that tonight. Jesus has called out your name in the presence of the Father, and he has prayed for you. I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. Your faith is not going to fail. Satan can't break it. Your trial can't destroy it. Your faith will fail not. There was no altar call for Peter, and there's not going to be one for you tonight. There's nothing you can do, Peter. There's nothing you can do. Let me say to you tonight that there's some areas in your life where you're going to fail, and there's nothing you can do about it. But the Lord's going to redeem you for it, and there's nothing redeem you from it, and there's nothing you can do about it. There's some other areas in your life where you do have control. I'm not saying just let it all go and just let yourself fail. That's not what I'm saying at all. And if you want to do that, you're not a believer. You need to get saved. But if that word strikes terror in your heart, Lord, please don't let me fail. That means you're a believer. That's the that's the heart. That's the just oh God, no, please. What that evokes in the heart of the believer is dependency upon God. Lord, I'm walking this out with you. I'm trusting you. I can't trust myself, but I'm trusting you. 
only decision you need to make is to keep running to the cross. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would He devote that sacred head for sinners such as I? At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light, and the burdens of my heart rolled away, it was there by faith I received my sight, and now I'm happy all the day. Mighty God, strengthen your sons and daughters tonight in courage. Surround that kernel of faith. Break that husk of flesh. And give complete freedom, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Pastor Jeremy's going to come. Uh, you know, church, I just want us to do one thing as a prophetic sign. Because I believe there's a, there's a moment to respond right now after that powerful word that we just received. You know, we talked about the difference, the separating of the flesh and the faith. I want you to know what God is saying tonight is that it's not about, <laughs> what's more important than what you do and don't do is what you believe and what you don't believe. So this moment, this night, it's not necessarily about what you've done and haven't done. God came, Jesus died for that. But do you know what he desires more than that? is to know what you believe and to know what you don't believe. So in this moment, I want you to come to the cross of Jesus. And what I mean by that is that as you come to him in the way that Peter could not, the only way to do that is if you tell yourself what you believe, is if you find your faith again and you declare to yourself what you believe. Because Peter couldn't go because he was believing the wrong things in that moment. He believed that he wasn't good enough. He believed that he was forsaken. He believed that he disappointed Jesus. He believed that he had failed and that's why he couldn't come. But the only thing that will get you to come to the cross is if you remind yourself and you declare what you believe. So in this moment with your eyes still closed and as you've, as you've put everything before Jesus and you know the things that you're struggling with, you know the things that you've been failing in, I want you to declare in the midst of all the brokenness, all the pieces are broken, right? You're like that wheat. Everything's all broken. Everything's all messed up on the ground. And where do you find the faith? This is the moment. I want you to reach out your hand in a prophetic sign and say, I'm going to choose to believe the things that Jesus said. The first thing he said was, I have prayed for you. I want you to say to yourself right now, I believe that Jesus has prayed for me. That's important. Just say it again. I believe that Jesus has prayed for me. And I believe that my faith will not fail. You have to believe that. You declare that right now. And the second thing I want you to say is that Jesus is with me. Jesus never left you. In that moment when they locked eyes, even though he left physically because he was being taken away by the guards, I tell you right now, his presence was with Peter. He was telling Peter with his eyes, I see you. You're not alone. I see you. I'm with you. Even though they're taking me away, I see you. I want you to declare right now as you reach out your hand again and say, I believe that Jesus, you're with me. This is how you find your faith. And the last thing I want you to say in faith, and this is Jesus speaking to you, is that he always says this. When we mess up, that's not who I am. Jesus never judges us at our worst. That's not who I am. But Jesus always tells us who we are. 
and that we belong to him. So I want you to declare that I am not my mistakes and I'm not my failures, but I am a son and a daughter of my father. This is the faith, guys. It's not about what you do and what you don't do. It's about what you believe and what you don't believe. Do not leave here tonight not finding your faith. I know you're broken. I know it hurts. I know it's confusing. And I know it's difficult to feel good about anything. I'm not even asking you to feel good. But I'm asking you to leave knowing what you believe. Because if you're sure what you believe, you'll never be defeated. If you're sure what you believe and you know who your father is and you know who Jesus is to you, you will never fail. No matter how difficult the battle is, no matter how many times you fall down, no matter how many times you're broken, you will never fail. So church, just pray this last with me, with your hands out, and say, tonight, God, I believe who you are. I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you came and you died for me. I believe that you bore my mistakes on the cross for me because you knew that I was going to fail. But I also believe that you prayed for me. And I also believe that you promised that my faith would not fail. I also believe that you have never left me and you have never forsaken me. And I also believe that you invite me into a relationship with you right now. This is what I believe. And I also believe that you never define me on my mistakes but you always speak prophetically over me desiring the best for me and believing in the best in me because you've called me into relationship with you so in this moment even though I'm broken even though I failed God I choose to remember what you've said and I choose to believe you at your word and I choose to believe that it is true and I will never forget that and that's what I leave here tonight with, God. Not a perfect record, not a clean slate, but I leave with my faith. Because I know if I have my faith, God, and I'm with you and you're with me, mm, I'll never be broken again. So Jesus, we come before you tonight. We thank you for what you've done on the cross for us. And Lord, we thank you that even, it does, even though it doesn't feel like a blessing, that we're being sifted. But God, you knew that in your infinite wisdom, that when we're sifted, actually what comes out is the most powerful faith ever. God, we choose to grab hold of that faith tonight. No matter where we are, no matter how hard it is, and no matter what we feel, we won't forget what we believe. And we thank you for who you are. We love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray.